this is Jordan Van Trump with Farm Tank. Farm Tank is an organization I formed for individuals and business owners to learn the latest in innovation, execution, and motivation. I believe there's a huge demand for hearing how others have become successful in life. I'll be traveling the world talking to some of the most influential CEOs and founders to help everyone learn and be more successful in their near future. The agricultural community has been extremely grateful to me and my family, so I'd like to do the same for everyone else and share my insights with you. With that, coming to you live with Farm Tank, Jordan Van Trump. Today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Chris Masters. Chris has been in agriculture field since 2003. He holds a bachelor's degree in agribusiness from Southeast Missouri State University. After graduating from college, Chris went to work for Ag Explorer for over seven years. Chris is currently the president and CEO of BioVamp, and with that, I'd like to welcome Chris to the show. Thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to uh, discussing things with you today and, and uh, talking with you. Yeah, glad you can take the time to have a conversation with me today. Let's just start. I had uh, We had the pleasure of having Chris on stage at the Van Trump Conference this past December. I thought he gave a great speech, really passionate, in my opinion. We're uh, very appreciative of BioVant sponsoring the event as well. But uh, what do you think about the conference this year? Well, being the first time uh, there, I've, I have some customers that have uh, been following and involved with the Van Trumps and um, so uh, they kind of instigated the activity to get me there. And after talking with the team at the Van Trumps and, and being able to come and help sponsor the event, I mean, overall, the volume of the att- attendees, um, you know, and their willingness to be open to learn and uh, have good discussions, the caliber of the speakers, I, I think they were top notch. And then, you know, it was um, it was good for us to be there uh, just to be a part of it. And as a company, we're just glad we were able to able to partner with you guys and Kevin and Michelle and yourself and the whole team and look forward to uh, seeing how we can continue in the years to come. I agree. We were, uh, we're glad to have you. Let's, uh, let's start this podcast off by telling our listeners who's been the most influential person in your life. You know, I think it's kind of cliche, but it really is. Uh, it's, it's my parents uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, there's been some people coming to my life, but you know, family is this one thing that you remain constant. And for me, that's that's been my mother and my father. And so it, it they've had just imp, impact, you know, from growing up and watching their life and and uh, being parented by them and, and the structure that they created in the home. So it's it's helped me carry over into the person that I am today, the man that I am today, the father that I am today. So, you know, I got to go with my parents. <laughs> Same with me, probably. Same with me. Yeah. Uh, tell our listeners a little brief uh, background on yourself, like where you grew up, high school, college, first real job, stuff like that. Well, I grew up in a small neighborhood, a small town in southeast Missouri, a town called Marble Hill. Uh, my father was a, a minister in the Assemblies of God, so we actually didn't always live in Marble Hill, but we always came back there because that's where home was. That's where my grandparents were and a bulk of our family was. So we would move off, um, you know, to different schools, but um, always came back to the same area. Ended up graduating high school. Um, my high school years, I split between two schools, um, Bernie, Missouri, and then uh, Marble Hill. I graduated senior from Woodland High School in Marble Hill and went on from there. That was in 2001. Went on from there and went to college at Southeast Missouri State University. So uh, did that first real job. Um, man, growing up with my grandparents, um, you know, it was hard work. Uh, that, that's what they did. They were hardworking people and, you know, driving a tractor and I wouldn't say it was a first job it was first labor they got free labor out of us uh, had a lot of grandsons I mean driving tractors raking hay bailing hay being around cattle but uh, I was able to then work at the local grocery store in high school um, and actually uh, they wanted me to be assistant manager before I left but uh, I didn't want to stay at a, at a grocery store in, in my hometown so but the grocery store, I guess, was the first job that I really had outside of working, bailing hay and working for my grandpa, uh, both sides of my grandfather's. And so 
that's kind of the, a short background um, to where we are now. I mean, it got me started. Good deal. You, uh, I read somewhere you majored in ag or not agriculture, but chiropractic at first in college, and then changed over to agribusiness your first year. What, uh, what made you decide to make that decision? Well, you know, I didn't really have the intention of agribusiness. I think there's a lot of probably college students going to college and, you know, they switch up their majors, whether a semester or two semesters in, uh, just trying to find their path. And for me, uh, I was going to do either sports medicine, chiropractic, pharmaceutical, uh, pharmacy. And a lot of those classes were the same dual-type classes, chemistry classes, organic chemistry classes, biology classes, anatomy, physiology classes. And it wasn't probably until after my sister met her husband, um, the guy she started dating, he was in agriculture and was uh, had a career really in agriculture and you know, much older and had history, and I started, you know, working for him during the summer, scouting cotton, and just enjoyed the aspect of, you know, listening to him and being involved with farmers. And again, I, I didn't grow up on a row crop farm uh, outside of just, you know, driving tractors and baling hay and taking care of cattle. That was probably the extent of my farming experience leading up to getting into the farming um, profession or the farming sector so I uh, quickly decided after um, going to two years I needed to change my degree and uh, I had gotten accepted into an athletic training program and decided to take the semester off to really make sure do I want to go the ag route do I want to stay and, and do the sports route because you really have to commit yourself to that program for a two-year program at the university. So I decided to just take a semester off, and whenever I did that, the uh, really that's kind of when my introduction into the ag sales, so to say, started really to flourish. And I just never really looked back as far as anything that had to deal with athletic training. I just focused primarily just on agribusiness, and and that was in the middle of the the middle of the year. And you know, you mentioned in the opening uh, introduction about me going to school um, and having an agribusiness degree. And I'm actually 13 hours, unfortunately 13 hours short of, of a four-year degree. I started into the, the business of working, um, doing international sales, and it took off so much I didn't really have the time. And so I need to go back and finish. Um, but, yeah, ironically, it just kind of exploded. And... Uh, that last semester, I just haven't—I <laughs> haven't made it back yet. So, kind of yeah. kind of make that happen. Time's going to so, get away. So you're from planning me. on going back? Yeah, I, I mean, I've always like to my son. I have a five-year-old son, and I've always influenced to him. You know, if you start something, you need to finish it. So, there's no way I could preach that to him and, and not do the same thing because that would just be hypocritical and be the be the wrong influence. So. I definitely want to finish, you know, it's a piece of paper, right? But yet at the same time I started it, the university took all, took all my money. So I better go ahead and finish it and, and get that degree. But yeah, you know, 13 hours, I just need to finish it up. Yeah. Maybe you can, uh, you've seen that movie back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you can do that with your son. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Son you go. Full yep. semester with him. Being class, given, done done given the professor some pointers. There you go. Um, yeah. You played some sports in college, right? You know, I played a little bit all through high school, uh, middle school, elementary. You know, did all of the uh, the traveling teams growing up. Uh, where we were, again, in the area that I grew up, there wasn't football, wasn't soccer. It was just primarily baseball and and basketball. So I played that throughout growing up as as a child, and then into middle school and high school, and uh, went into college. And you know, I didn't get. I got a couple scholarships from some uh, NAIA schools and Division three schools. I was just so kind of burned out on sports. But uh, there at Southeast Missouri State University, I, uh, it's unfortunate, but they had a situation with some academic uh, scholarship guys, and they couldn't pull their weight when it comes to the academics. So they put out an ad in, in the paper to uh, have some guys try out. 
went and tried out, made the team, but it just wasn't there. I didn't have the heart for it. And after about a week of it, I just kind of just get, gave it up. I didn't really want to uh, to commit my life to that. And anybody who's played college sports, it, it's totally, um, you know, you really you kind of feel like the property yeah. of, of what, yeah, um, property of the university. So it was so much involved in that, and I didn't really, again, have the time, and I didn't have a heart to make it work. And I'm just not one. If, I, if my heart's not in it, I'm just not going to do it. So Yeah, what's the uh... – I, I quit. What's the best thing sports has taught you in the business world? What what'd you learn from sports? I think up? teamwork, discipline, teamwork and discipline are key. Um, it, you know, I, I see even, you know, with, of course my son's only five and he just started kindergarten, but I see a lot with the younger, younger generation is they lose kids outside of that. You know, they have accessibility of, you know, their phones and they have computers and games, but, you know, just the aspect of teamwork, the aspect of discipline, um, and listening to just somebody over you, authority, and, and uh, you know, just respect for people that are in that position. And so, you know, I think that was key for me. I, I, I have even a lot of high school co- uh, coaches that I still see to this day, and, you know, uh, I honor them and respect them, but that was just a lot, you know. It was one of those things of when I was growing up, you know, your coaches said something and they went and told your parents, gosh, you kind of got double wins, mm-hmm. right? You got it, got it in practice and you got it at home too, and there was no questions asked about it. They didn't care. If it was going down at school, it was going to happen at home too. You were going to get in trouble. And so, but yeah. again, I think a lot of it was just respect um, for people in that position, the power, the, the authority, and then just discipline and teamwork with other people. Yeah, my uh, my dad went to high school with my baseball coach in high school, and my football coach in high school was actually my dad's best man at his wedding. So, oh wow, he got all the good info. Yeah, he got there you go. he got the nice cell phone calls like, "Hey, your son be an idiot today." <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, he had close access. Um, oh yeah. So uh, one thing I was wanting to learn from you, are some of your best tips you have for sales. Uh, What's made you successful in the past working in sales? I think a lot of it is just transparency. Um, I tell um, even our own sales reps, don't overpromise and underperform. If you don't know the answer to a question, don't fake it till you make it. Um, I, I think people can pick up on that pretty quick. Know what you're selling. Know your products. You got to know your competition. You can't, though, let your competition dictate how you respond to the market and how you present your product. So, I mean, I think it's important to to be well rounded. But for me, it's just it's just been honesty and transparency to the buyer, to the consumer. And um, as far as sales is concerned, I, I just really feel that. If you're passionate about something, it doesn't really matter what industry you're in, right? Whether you're in the restaurant industry, the hotel industry, um, any type of interaction with customers, uh, with people, service, 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 service is important. People can feel that, they can relate to that, and they appreciate and they value it. So, you know, I, I just think it's important to be transparent, be honest with people, and, and again, there might be some hard questions that you just don't know. You just need to take the time to get back to them and say, I'll, I'll have you an answer. If not today, soon. But um, I think the buyer picks up on that, and, and a lot of people value and appreciate that. Yeah, that's uh, something we do here. With the Van Trump report, uh, Dad kind of preaches to me about it, but he's like, yeah, if you don't know, I guess just tell him you don't know better than just uh, smoking mirrors, spitting some of that yeah. game. but. Or like, well, we might usually answer, I don't know, but I can uh, definitely get you in contact with someone that will know. That's kind of how we yeah. play it. Yeah, no, um, that's right. What are some of your biggest failures and what lessons did you learn from them? You know, I think um, in regards to business in my infancy of my company, um, I think some of it was um, maybe overselling, initially overselling products, um, trying to overpromise about the products. But 
Uh, I mean, I've always been an enthusiastic person. Whenever I'm passionate about something, I'm enthusiastic. But I guess some of it was mismanaging and not putting some of my strengths to, to work, um, focusing too much on the weaknesses, my, my weaknesses. Um, yeah, but in the, in the beginning, there was, you know, there were some things, there were some people that came in, was connected to the business, um, you know, just mismanaged. You know, I believe that people come into your life for a season. Some of them are there for a season and some of them leave. Not everybody stays. Um, so, you know, trying to learn why they were there for that short period of time, why they weren't involved. But, yeah, you know, I think every startup, every um, starting business has those those things where you might have mishandled a, a coworker or an employee, um, could have done things a little bit different. But, uh, you know, in the business that we're in with, with farmers, it's so much. You know, we live in the Show Me State, right, uh, Missouri. It's Show Me. And it's such an industry where we need quick results. We don't have the time to uh, to, to linger on and, and prolong this thing. And I think in a biological world, that's kind of one of the, the pitfalls and the downfalls. It's, it's not always a quick microwave result or response that we get. And um, so, you know, I think that was somewhat frustrating initially for some of the, the farmers, the growers. You know, the first three years that we were in business, uh, started the business in 2009, but 9, 10, and 11, we really just tested. And through that time period, we had some growers that we worked with. Uh, we didn't really bring anything to the market until 2012, um, but we learned a lot. You know, we really tried to, to learn from those first three years how to position the product, how to educate ourselves about different soil types and responses of the soil to the products. Um, but, you know, you can never stop learning. And, um, and again, it goes back to what you learn. You've got you to relate it and present it to the people that you've been doing business with. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you've you got to own up to it. And, and that's one thing that if I make a mistake, uh, I'm going to try my best to apologize and own up to it. But I think early on it was um, it was just really um, I wasn't really disciplined enough. I wasn't I didn't manage I don't think myself that well in, in, in the business. And then now you know we have a lot of protocols and things that we go by as a company, and it's really helped create structure. So, is BioVent the first company you started, or were you did you, have you started some companies before? Well, Side hustle? BioVent. BioVent started out as a company called Global Chem. Whenever I was working um, with my prior company that I, that uh, my brother-in-law owned, doing international sales, I was on the side. I was selling um, generic Roundup, um, you know, glyphosates, and so I started a company called Global Chem, just strictly just for the glyphosate sales. And through that, that's where we tested the initial biological products. And it wasn't until 2011, January of 2011, that we changed the name from Global Chem to BioVent. Um, Abante in Latin means the pioneer. So I just dropped the A, added the BIO, and that's kind of how I came up with the BioVent name. Um, but from that time period, you know, we have the BioVent company. So it was Global Chem, BioVent. I mean, I have some other companies that I, I do some other business unrelated to, to ag, um, agriculture. But, yeah, I mean, really, BioVent was, uh, was really the first company I started. What are, uh, what are some of the other businesses you do, not in ag? Is it more passive income? Or? It's, uh, yeah, so we doing some, some real estate right now, um, buying some real estate, and uh, it's more commercial ground as far as uh, hunting properties and okay. pasture and farmland, doing that. I have a, a business. Um, again, it, it's kind of off the wall, but, you know, streams of revenue is, is, is what's important, I think, and having a couple of different streams of revenue is good, but I have a business where we, we sell uh, kind of wholesale hardwood, wholesale carpet, um, oh. So we're, we're connected to some uh, some local contractors, and so it's just it's amazing, um, you know, just the markup. But it is what it is. So we have some connections to uh, some of the major um, foreign companies in Georgia. A lot of that comes out of the state of Georgia, and have some connections to to get 
pretty much wholesale pricing and so I just do a little bit of markup on that and you know sell some carpet carpet and hardwood on the side whenever it comes in but it's not a major stream of revenue but uh, again it's something better than nothing exactly um another question I had for you change it up a little bit on you but do you have a philosophy by which you live by you know I've thought about this um I guess where I'm at philosophy, I feel that hard work, honesty, and respect can bring you to doors, and ultimately it will give you the key to maintain the access to those doors. Um, I'm a hard worker. Uh, again, if if I see something and if I set a goal, I'm going to work hard to achieve that, to accomplish that. I think many people that are connected to me know that. It's a driving um, force behind what I do. Honesty is big for me. Um, you know, again, I've never been one to fabricate. I've never been one to, uh, to try to present something that it's not. If I don't know again, uh, I'm going to do the best I can not to uh, to oversell it. Um, but honesty has been big. And then, you know, just respect. I think I don't care who you are. You know, I deal with really large farming corporations, and I deal with smaller farmers. And I, I think the people in our office and people that I come in contact with will tell you that, you know, I'm going to give you the same type of com- conversation and respect, whether you're big or you're small. Um, same way in, in life in general, people I, I come across with, you know, people who are maybe down on the luck or having a hard time or people who, you know, are highly successful. Um, I don't really change who I am just for the environment that I'm in. And uh, so, you know, that's just a respect thing for me. And I think ultimately, you know, that's something that you don't have to pay for, right? Um, it, it's something that you internally have to make up your mind to do and be. And whenever you are that to a person or individuals, um, again, I think doors will, will come and opportunities will come. And if you maintain the hard work, the honesty, and the respect, I think then you'll have the access and the keys to, to walk through those doors pretty pretty easy. I think, uh, I think that's one of the best answers I've got for that question so far, so. Pretty good. Um, yeah. Another one. Maybe I can stump you on this one, though. What's uh, <laughs> what's the biggest misconception about Chris Masters? Um, I think sometimes the biggest misconception is I might be too serious. I think a lot of people see me initially without knowing me. Um, I'm pretty much a goofball, you know. Like on, on personal side, whenever I'm in, you know, the confines of my house or just casual, when people get, you know, see me in the professional world. Um, they might think I'm over over serious. I, I've been told that before. <laughs> Sometimes I I don't look like I'm enjoying certain things, but I'm really a, I'm a deep thinker. Um, I kind of over overanalyze just things in general, probably way too much. Um, I'm strategic in, in what I do, or I try to be strategic. So I think for me, I'm just you know. Part of life is, is responding and reacting, and as much as I can do to manage and keep more structure in my life, and I, that's why I say I think I, I sometimes overthink things, and people look at me and be like, wow, the guy just looks, he looks really serious. But uh, I think that's a misconception because once people get to know me, you know, again, really, I'm, I'm really kind of goofy and, and like to have fun and play around and mess around. But, you know, there's times for that. There's times for being um, all about business. And uh, I think that's part of sometimes what I just got to channel and cut off. So, Yeah, I kind of got that vibe from you a little bit when I first met you at the conference. Uh, <laughs> Too serious? Telling Mark, I'm like, this guy's grinding, man. He's ready to roll. But uh, Well, you know what? Bit. You guys set the platform, right? I mean, you guys were there. We were a sponsor. People, I wanted to give and make sure that, you know, hey, we may not have these same amount of people in the room again. you got to put your best Take advantage of your here. opportunities. Exactly. Um, before we jump into a little bit about you, I would love to know the best piece of advice you have for a young entrepreneur like myself who's currently trying to start a business of their own today. I think consistency passion um, you have to be able to solve have an answer for questions and uh, you know there's I've been around some great minded people they are smart but I think 
where people really make their, their business and they really show their stock and their worth is whenever they can take things that are hard to understand and put them in a pliable message for almost every buyer um, to attract as many buyers as possible. And, you know, in the world that I'm in, uh, there's much of a learning curve when we come to biologicals. You know, again, I've been around some really smart people, but they just can't relate. Uh, they give presentations, and a lot of people in the room are just either bored or tired, could care less what's being said. Um, but you've got to be able to relate that into a message where the buyer says, how, why would I? I not want to do this. So and I, I think you just have to understand that mistakes um, and struggles and battles are going to come. It's just something you have to embrace. You know, whenever I started into the business, I was, let's see, that was 2009. So roughly, you know, 10 years ago, I was 24, 25 years old getting into the business. I was the youngest guy in the room. And I would talk to many, you know, ag professionals, consultants. You know, some of them are twice my age. And, again, I respected them, but I don't know that it was reciprocal. I don't know that it was back to me. And they thought, well, who's this young guy coming in here? And I think that's just something you have to have this just fire in you. And you have to be intentional with everything that you do. Um, and you can't let, you know, the haters and the naysayers, um, fog your path and, and keep resistance to the point to where, you know, you start to even question your your message and, and what you're doing. Um, I, I think so. Once you feel like you have created a product or a company that answers questions, then you have something, and you know you have some successes, some small successes, um, and you surround yourself with people who. Carry it can help you carry that message. I think, um, you know, that's another thing, having people on your team that, uh, you know, if you have people who always, the glass is always half empty or they're always pessimistic, as a startup, you got to cut that stuff off. I've told people uh, many times that there's sheep and there's goats. And as an entrepreneur, if you have too many goats, they will consume everything you have and all of who you are and your business will fail because um, they're just consumers. And uh, so you got to, you got to have the right people on your team and you got to all be in the like mind, but uh, you can't stop. You got to keep going, going. You got to be consistent. I think that's some really good advice. Thank you for that. Um, yep. The, the uh, first thing I want to learn a little bit more about you though, is you were born on Thanksgiving day. It's like favorite day of the year. Love it. Mm -hmm. My favorite meal. <laughs> it's awesome. How many? So, how many birthdays have you had on Thanksgiving? You know, I, I haven't really counted them. I'd say double digits, uh, eleven or twelve. I don't really know all of them in my life, but I mean, you always know what you're going to have, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You always yeah. know what you're going to have is turkey, and uh, you know the thing about anybody who's born in the winter, you're kind of limited um, with birthday parties. So, you know, it's a skating rink or you know, it's the bowling alley or, you know, a gymnasium. But, yeah, being born on Thanksgiving, uh, whenever I was younger, it was awesome because, you know, you had the whole family there, you know, people from your family, from your extended family, they come in from out of state and everybody's there together. So, you know, you have Thanksgiving and, you know, younger, you got all these presents, birthday presents, and, you know, you was able, I was able to rack up money on cards and stuff like that. But, yeah, when you got older, <laughs> they didn't really care about that anymore. So no. when I was younger, I took advantage of that. But when you're older, it's just like, yeah, it's just Thanksgiving, just another holiday. So it kind of wore off its uh, its freshness to it. But, uh, yeah, I was born on Thanksgiving, and my mom uh, ate Thanksgiving dinner in the hospital. And it's always, I guess, been a memory. I guess that she has. I think seven. Pretty cool. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, my dad uh, was always. He always liked the memory. I was born during the All Star Game, MLB All Star Game. Oh, think, really? Uh, yeah, Frank Thomas hit a home run or something. That game or so something. So he was in the he's hospital. Got like a, 
watching. Yeah. Your mom's in labor. He's in the hospital watching yeah. the game, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. We uh, <laughs> he gave me a '95 All Star Game ball, so it's oh, pretty that's cool. Awesome. That's yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about this horse accident you had back in '98. From what I understand, you were flatlined for 26 seconds. Can you tell me what yeah. happened here. Well, um, so it was it was in May, Mother's Day. It's coming up on Mother's Day weekend, and and my mom's side of the family. They always got together. Uh, that was a larger um, between the cousins and the aunts and uncles. Um, you know, my my grandma had let's see, it had been three boys and two girls. So there was there's five of them. So whenever we would have family events, you know, there was a lot of grandkids and in the family. And and this was a family event. It was at my uncle's and in the country and. We just decided, I mean, I'd rode horses growing up and been around horses, but me and my, uncle, uh, me and my cousin decided to just saddle the horses up and, and go for a ride. And and honestly, all I remember is I can visually to this day remember getting the saddle on the horse and the horse that I was riding, you know, it kept doing this, this spinning thing as, as you get on it and it just spins and, and turns into, uh, into your hand where you're getting on and I can remember that as a vivid memory, and it was from that point I forgot everything. And then the next memory I had was waking up in a hospital room, very very dark room, and just having these tubes coming out of my mouth. And I realized that something was wrong, and I flipped out and freaked out. And uh, but the story goes again for those that were there, I guess, kind of watching us. It's we had gotten into this pasture area, and I was closest to the, a tree line. He was more inside the uh, the field than I was, but we weren't really close uh, by any means. But we took off, and we was kind of just racing each other on the horses and, and going fast. And the, the tree line where my aunt and uncle lived kind of separated. It's kind of like a pri- privacy tree line, but. They were spread out probably a good 20, 30 feet from each other. And for whatever reason, the horse that I was on was going to try to go between the two. I don't, again, I don't remember trying to, and don't know why I would actually want to run between the trees because we were more in the field. And uh, the horse tried to go in between the two trees and realized I'm getting ready to hit the tree. So he put on his brakes and I went over the top because there's no seat belt. Mm-hmm. I went over the top. And had um, a head-on collision with the tree. Um, so I was unconscious at that point. By the time the ambulance got there, um, you know, so everybody realized what was wrong. And, you know, they came down to the, where I was. And by the time the ambulance got there, um, they had no, I had, had no pulse, uh, no life. And so I, I got three shocks with the pads or two shocks with the pads, but they, uh, yeah, I was medically flatlined for 26 seconds based off of what they said. And, um, finally got a pulse back and, uh, I took a helicopter ride to the, to the hospital and the doctor after, uh, I went with follow up to a couple months later, um, I had a Kentucky hat on, um, and I still have it to this day. I've kept it. Um, it's got some of my, my blood on it, but I kept the hat. And he said, you know, as, as minimal as the hat is, he said, probably had you not even just had that hat on, uh, he said it would have been a lot worse than what it was. Mm. What had happened, pretty much my brain had the force, you know, because it almost looked like, I, I, you know, I think about it now today, it's like a cartoon, right, where, you, you know, the little cartoon guys are flying parallel mm-hmm. with the uh, with the ground and they hit a wall or hit a tree and then just kind of stick like that. That was basically me, right, as a human person doing that. But my brain, they call it a brain contusion, had forcibly hit my skull and it was bleeding. My brain was bleeding. And um, so, you know, after I, I was in the ICU, unconscious i woke up on day two and that's whenever i woke up that's when i realized you know where where am i at and i freaked out and then it was another three days before i came to but during that time period after i got out of the icu 
I had to relearn how to uh, pretty much use my vocal cords and, and talk. Um, I lost some short-term memory. Um, learned how to, you know, for 48 hours, two days, really my, my mobility of my legs and my hands was very limited. Um, so I had to, I wouldn't say extensive therapy uh, by no means, but just quickly had to relearn these things. And it's just the power of God and the fact that I'm still living today. But, uh, yeah, I still have some of the notes and things that I wrote while I was in the hospital. And it, it literally looks like a three-year-old or four-year-old was writing. That, that was my only means of communication. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty serious, uh, at the time, you know, pretty serious um, event that happened. And, you know, looking back again, it's just I'm amazed at the fact that I'm still living and, and breathing and walking. And so thank God for that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'm sure that uh, puts life in new perspective for you. Exactly. From what I understand, you got a pretty strong faith in religion. You said your father was a pastor. I read you mm-hmm. spent some time as an associate pastor. Can you just mm-hmm. tell our listeners uh, a little bit about how you're brought up in church and your relationship with God? Sure. Um, so my mother, her father, was an ordained Baptist minister. Um, my uncles, they they became ordained. Uh, they don't pastor a church now, but they became ordained. And my father... Um, didn't grow up in necessarily a, a minister's home, but uh, he became ordained. I think they married in 76. I think it would have been 76 or 78. Um, anyway, so he started um, ministry in the late 70s, early 80s. So I was raised in a pastor's home. Um, and, you know, man, I tell people, and it's been said before, but, you know, I had a drug problem when I was little. Got drugged at every church service. That's how I was drugged. Drugged here, drugged there. Every time the doors was open, you know, it didn't matter what type of meeting was going on, service. They drugged me to the to the meetings. And, you know, looking back, um, you know, I might have probably complained about it at the time. But um, it really established a lot of my foundation and, um, and values of who I am and what I what I want in my life. And But, yeah, he was a minister for a little bit over just under 30 years um, and unfortunately passed away through a tragic accident in uh, April 27th of 2006. Um, So we lost him in 2006. But um, shortly after that time, 2010, um, I started attending a a church, non-denominational full gospel church, and I became ordained as a minister in 2012 and was at that church as uh, as a minister. I led praise and worship, played the piano, played the drums, played the guitar. I love instruments. I love music. So I, I do as much as I can to, to play and sing. Um, and then I actually became associate pastor. would have been, uh, I think that would have been 2000, August, September 2013. And so I did that for... Uh, three years associate pastor for three years at a church. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's a vital important of who I am. And, and you know, religion is, is um, you know, there's a lot of religions, uh, a lot of doctrines. But, you know, the biggest thing is it's it's relationship. Um, and, and that's what I tell a lot of people. You can have a relationship with Jesus. It's totally different than having just uh, calling yourself a member of a church. And for me, it's it's knowing who Jesus is and, and what he's about and then trying to to live who he is um, through my life. And I'm human, make mistakes just like anybody else. Um, but, yeah, it, it's I can't get away from it. It's, um, it's very important in my life and people that I'm involved with and, and try to do as much as I can, godly decisions and godly wisdom. Um, for what I do in business as well. So um, I, I'm so glad my parents, you know, raised me in that type of home. And, um, you know, I'll forever be grateful for that. Cool, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your son. You've mentioned him a few times. Seems like you guys got a pretty good relationship. I think so. I think he likes me. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> he's, uh, man, I tell you, he's, he's a 
quirky little guy. I mean, I, all children are, right? You know, kids say the darndest stuff and do the, the craziest things. And, you know, I don't know how in the heck my parents, I guess they say that I was just as bad or just as crazy. But, uh, uh, you know, if something was going to be broken, uh, I broke it, you know, broke my hand, my mm-hmm. wrist and stuff like that. And I don't, I think my son, he's not as crazy in that regard. He's not a daredevil like I was, but he loves life. Um, he's got a, a huge smile. He shows his teeth when he's smiling. He's just got a big smile. He loves to laugh. He loves to goof off. I goof off with him. He loves um, – he just got finished with wrestling. Um, wasn't a big fan uh, really getting started and kind of had to keep him going throughout the, throughout the course of the, the wrestling schedule. But he got that finished, won some awards. He loves soccer. He loves uh, t-ball, baseball. So, I mean, he loves sports. He loves being outside. A little bit too much of a clean freak for me, but, you know, a little dirt didn't hurt, right? But, uh, man, he gets a little dirty. He's, he's all about getting wiped up and cleaned up. But, uh, you know, he's he's full of life, and he's a tremendous blessing to me. And I love being around him, and he's he's a good kid. And so... We'll see where life takes us, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's in kindergarten. He started kindergarten this last year, um, so he'll be finished soon. But he doesn't really like school. He thinks nobody should ever sit in school for that long. It's it's way too long for somebody to go and, <laughs> and be in a building for that long. So he's not a fan of school, so I don't know. We're going to have to keep his interest there. But, uh, yeah, he's awesome. His name's Kanan, and uh, Kanan Christopher, and he's my little buddy. Cool. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, talk a little bit about BioVan. I heard you're a little bit of a hunter. What I just wanted to know some of the best hunting trips you've gone on. Maybe some of the best kills you've got. Everything for me has has been local. It seemed like growing up, uh, my grandfather on my uh, my my dad's dad. Um, he managed uh, a cattle farming operation, and the, the landlord and the place where they lived, uh, they had a lot of woods. So it's always been, for me, it's been a tradition uh, growing up. My cousin um, and I and my dad um, and then one of my uncles, we always went deer hunting. You know, I've never, I've never been quail hunting, dove. I mean, I've been dove hunting, but never any uh, managed guides or anything like that. But it's always... You know, growing up, as soon as I could get a, you know, a gun in my hand outside of a BB gun, you know, I went hunting. I went hunting with my dad whenever I, I couldn't own a firearm or shoot a deer, and I had my BB gun, and he had his .30-06 or um, .30-30 or something. So, I mean, I was always in the woods. And um, I remember um, this one year, I still had the deer mount to this day, but uh, – I had scouted this deer for, I don't know, months. And, you know, I, I just, I got tired. I was ready to eat something. And my dad, you know, he just, he could set and he could just be there. And I was like, man, it's like 11, right? We need to go get some food or something. So my cousin and I, we headed out of the woods and we come back and hit the radios. And we had just crossed the fence getting in the woods. We heard a gunshot and, Man, did you know it? My dad killed the deer I've been scouting. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget that 11-point buck. Uh, we mounted the head. I still have it. But I'd say that was one of the most memorable hunts that I had. I didn't kill it. But for for me, that was the last time that um, my dad got to hunt, uh, the last time physically he was able to do that. So um, something I'll always cherish. But, yeah, I think that was the, the most memorable. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, let's Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now as the president and CEO of BioVan. Uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about the company to start off. Sure. BioVan, again, was established in 2009. We had tested a lot of our products at the beginning uh, of the company um, and really started soliciting and, and putting ourselves into the market around 2012. The foundation of who we are and what we do is all about biologicals, um, true biologicals. We grow a lot of these USDA-certified labs, uh, high-quality control, aerobic and anaerobic. We're encapsulating our microbes so that way we have a longer shelf life. Um, some of the microbes that are on the market, uh, you know, you have to use either certain temperature water or dechlorinated water 
Um, you can or cannot use it in certain pesticides because of this, you know, encapsulation. They don't have it or the shelf life is not as long. Um, so we, we definitely focus on quality control with our products and make sure that the, the consumer, the user is going to get what he paid for in regards to the millions of microbes that are in, you know, an ounce, two ounces, 10 ounce rate that they use. Um, but that's what we try to do. We try to implement. We know the value and the importance of the soil. Um, Long term, you know, I, I tell guys, you know, as far as a farmer, as a painting canvas is to a painter, so is the soil to a farmer. And, you know, they get to grow crops every year, rotation crops, whatever, row crops. They need that soil. That soil brings them life. And just as a painter, as I said, can take a blank canvas and paint just a beautiful picture and bring that canvas to life. That's what happens in the soil. So we know the value of that. There's been many practices come in that have kind of um, degraded uh, degeneratively the soil and cause imbalances in the soil from a microbial standpoint. Um, it's caused higher salt levels in the soil, um, caused pesticide resi residues to um, still exist in the soils, and that has hampered the energy movement um, and life of beneficial microorganisms. You know, we, we now are starting to see more weed pressure, more disease pressure. And, you know, outside of this year, you know, before this year, there was concerns of, you know, how much of this disease um, actually stays and lives as, uh, in, as a toxin in our soil profile. And we've done some microscopic, we have some pictures and, and different things that we've looked at that, um, that have showed these residues that are left over and how harmful they are to the soil. But that's the focus of what we do really and we try to just educate the farmer and that's some of the learning curve um, to biologicals you know who do you go with um, what are you getting um, am I spending good money by buying this product we're just trying to whether that's remediate the soil or charge the soil with life um, that's what we are about and that's the foundation of what we do with the, the main bulk of our products and we put those together for farmers and put them in conjunction with either their spray application or their planting applications but we're just trying to uh, to get these products as many soils as possible whether that's dry uh, or not dry well dry land irrigated environments or sandy soils or heavier clays there's again uh, it doesn't matter if you're in canada if you're in the redwood forest if you're in africa the desert um, georgia missouri microbially there's some type of life there whether that be good or bad there's some type of life and um, we have to then go in and look and see what product do we need to use in that environment what's going to work best for that farmer we may have a situation where somebody in the South might be using a totally different rate or chemistry compared to somebody in Minnesota, and rightfully so because the environments are, are different. Um, you know, one product, I don't believe one product can do everything at the exact same rate, north and south, east and west. And so that's what we're trying to do is help educate our, our farmers. Um, I think a lot of them who have been with us for a while their soils um, have replenished to the point to where the dependency upon um, synthetic fertilizers, synthetic pesticides, they start to see that they need less of those. Um, and again, that's just, uh, it's healthy for the environment, it's healthy for the soil, and ultimately, you know, we want to make this profitable for the farmer as well. And the goods that are produced, right? I mean, the goods that are produced, the quality of those goods. Um, and that's what we're starting to see and really start to pay more attention to if we're able to um, create more health in the soil and we have better mineralization, better uh, nutrient uptake, well, that's going to create ultimately um, a healthier plant and healthier grain, uh, higher quality grain. And, you know, with everything that's starting to happen now in the ag industry, buyers are looking at that. What, what's in soybeans? What's the crude, crude protein to lysine content? And, and, uh, you know, so we want to try to help our farmers as they begin to use our products start to see the benefits, not just soil benefits, but grain quality benefits of using our products. Yeah, staying on the topic of <clears throat> farmers, I'd love for you to share 
with our listeners about some of the crazy soybean yields you're seeing with your BioVamp products on farms like uh, the Kohlers and the Fredericks? Yeah, it's been um, it's been an interesting you know situation. It's a lot of evaluation, and sometimes you stand back and scratch your head. You know, there's some things that, as human beings we just don't have answers for as much as we try to have lab methods and testing methods and and have the experience and history. There's just some things that we we see happening in the field that um, you know we can't put our finger on. But with that being said, yeah, it, it's been fun to see that getting into some high yield environments, whether that be corn or soybeans, um, the response to the products. Uh, whether that be, you know, because we really look at a holistic approach. There's not, I've never believed that there's a silver bullet. And, and that gets watered down and used a lot of times. Oh, everybody's looking for the silver bullet. For me, I believe that you have to have a bandolier, right? You've got to have many bullets. And they've all got to have one common goal, and that's raising the bar, raising yield, and breaking yield barriers. So it, it's many facets to that. That's going to be equipment. That's going to be the placement of your materials, whether that at planting, that's going to be timings, uh, that's going to be moisture, uh, it's going to be seed quality. So there's many components that go into that we try to analyze. I don't sell equipment, I don't sell seed, but I know the value to having the right equipment, having the right seed, having the, the right um, spray um, equipment to be able to get out there and do that. And whenever we start to put all of these things together, all of these individual pieces of the pie, we start to complete the system, and wow, we start to see some abnormal things happening in, in soybean developments, uh, the overall structure of the plant, um, how they lateral more, how they branch more, how they you know create more pods. You know, we're seeing 11, 14 pod clusters in, in one node um, compared to you know most on average you might see one, two, or three pods. You know, we're seeing 11 or 14 collected together at the top part of the plant. We're seeing way late into the year on soybeans whenever generally the plant should not be flowering it's flowering at the very bottom part of the plant uh, we had some we had some very high high ranking uh chemists and geneticists come to uh, a plot on kipps kohler's farm and i'm not going to mention the seed company but they came to the farm, uh, this would have been going on now two years, 2017, um, in July, end of July, and they couldn't believe all the visual things that was happening with the plant. Many of them stated, we've never seen anything like this, and we've been doing this for over 20 years. And, you know, so to hear that and to know that, hey, you're on to something, you're, you're moving things in the right direction, again, it's still learning. You're still learning from, because no, there's no one year I know two years are going to be exactly the same, but we're really starting to, I think, fine-tune some things and start putting our products um, into the right environments and the right timings, uh, you know, whether that be dry land environments or irrigated, you know. As of what I know of right now, um, you know, 2018 would have been on a dry land environment. Jimmy Frederick, you know, holds a world record for 138 bushels uh, we came up just roughly short on the irrigated the year before that um, at 163. But I think a lot of the things that we're doing are definitely priming the soil. Again, we've been working on some of these soils for a while. It's it's not anything that we could just microwave it and say, boom, we got this. And 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 that's part of um, a pitfall to raising high yields uh, i think many farmers come and they say well hey we just want to do what that guy did you got to understand the priming and the what got us to where we're at started three years ago you know we started working and looking at the soil and putting products on the soil to now here we are we're finally starting to get releases from this you know that you're talking about trends and practices of, of tillage and pesticides and high salt fertilizers that maybe farmers have used for 15, 20 years. And then now they expect you to, you know, pull a rabbit out of the hat and correct this in eight months, nine months. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and initially a lot of these guys that are doing this outside of, you know, Kip, you know, he had done it, uh, didn't come to us with the goal of setting world records or, or records. Once we started to see these responses in the field and we're like, wow, um, we could go somewhere with this, but their focus was soil health. 
And that's what we fo- that's what we focused on. And then, as I say, now we're starting to reap some of the rewards uh, of what we did three, four years ago. Um, but yeah, it, it's seeing the plants respond and really analyzing, like on corn, you know, where they start to corn start to put a ear at, at what node and the placement of those ears, and then the differences between Dupont and Decalb and uh, AgriLiant brands. You know, they all respond different. So you kind of got to be on your, you know, on the edge of your seat uh, because there's there's not one system, even with the genetics that we deal with, there's not one system that you can just throw out a cookie cutter program out there and expect it's going to work. You got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to uh, to to work with the farmer and his environment. So that's a lot of cool things, a lot of exciting things. Uh, you know, looking into the future uh, for where we think we can go and what we think we can do. It, it, it's pretty promising. Yeah, the soybean yields are incredible. Uh, speaking of the future, where do you see BioVant in the next three to five years? So we have a lot of products right now that we're working in R&D, um, again, biologically based, uh, those being fungicidal, insecticidal, um, identifying certain strains and uh, things of that nature to, to help the overall crop, uh, whether that be in furrow, or during the season, post-emerge, treating the crop. Um, you know, growing-wise, we're growing with independent sales reps. We have some independent, uh, some dealers right now. We really haven't got into uh, corporate as far as retailers. We try to stay as much independent as possible. Um, for me, I feel like the audience that we're dealing with in regards to dealers and sales reps, again, it comes back to passion. It's not if you want to say that you limit their resources, you know, you're not dealing with a, a sales rep's not looking at, you know, a hundred different products. He's, he's kind of condensed down to, um, you know, 15, 18 products that he's dealing with. So he doesn't lose, lose focus off of that, those products. And again, it's not anything against retailers, but there's so many options that they have. And a lot of that's going to be based off of their decisions are based off of profit margins because they got to run a business and, and have a business, make a business, and they're giving credit and extending guys on payments and stuff. I, I get all of that. Uh, I've seen that happen. But I think what works for us is moving forward, we're having guys who have said, hey, you know, I embrace exactly your message. I'd love to be a part of this. I'd love to, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, and I'd love to grow with you guys, and that's where we're having, you know, able to grow with Salesforce and dealers and then start to put out with some of these growers that we're working with, um, you know, because they're really students. They're really analyzing things. We can go out and put some of these new technologies, some of these R&D products, put it out into their field, give them access. They give us feedback. So I think as a whole, bioband three to five years, I think we're going to have a greater presence. Uh, we're going to have a greater or continually adding to our knowledge base of how to um, position our products in different environments and settings and applications. So that will continue to grow. We're continuing to every year, uh, even like last year, improve the technologies um, and the concentrations of our microorganisms in our existing products. You know, so we're learning from a manufacturing side of things. We're learning and we're increasing um, our products concentrations off of what we learn um, and then be able to give that product um, to the farmer, to the buyer. So as I said, the, the horizon for us is, is, is growth, um, growth of knowledge, growth of sales um, in regards to sales reps and dealers. So, I mean, we welcome people who are, uh, you know, kind of embody this health soil value and importance and really are passionate about it and, uh, you know, work, work with them and continue to grow in that capacity. Yeah, makes sense. The uh, last question I had for BioVant on that side of things is how does uh, the company keep a competitive advantage? There's tons of products out there farmers can choose from. Pretty much what's, uh, what's separating BioVant and how do you stay on top? Well, I think superficially, um, unfortunately, you got to keep, you know, there's, there's an attraction to these yields, to the high yields. But I think at the end of the day, knowledge is power. And, you know, this, since the beginning of the year, we've done seven different meetings. We call them workshops. Um, 
the best practice exchange workshop. So we do these workshops. They last from 10 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock and roughly in the afternoon. We provide lunch in the middle. But everywhere that we've had these, uh, we've had a mixture of existing customers and, and a lot of new customers. But these workshops are not just all about sales. It's really about um, agronomy. It's really about plant physiology and then why we do as an industry what we do and some of the things that are happening in the industry, uh, you know, influence of products and how they're responding to different uh, to the plants or responding to these different chemistries. Uh, so we've got a lot of positive feedback from those meetings. Guys attend these meetings and they're like, wow, I just never saw it that way or I didn't think about it that way. And um, it kind of actually leaves them with more questions than, than answers. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think to a certain degree, the questions are arising are, is what I'm doing on my farm uh, need to be changed? Do I need to adjust some things? Do I need to look at different uh, aspects of, of how I'm farming? Because, hey, some of these guys in the room, they're doing it, and it's working for them. Uh, I can see on the screen, and I hear you know the, these guys talk about stuff that, that's happening on, on their farm or things that they're seeing. Maybe I should start to consider and do that. So I, I think it's very beneficial for the audience, but I think when you talk about an edge um, – you can't create a hierarchy uh, to where you're untouchable, right? You, you have to bring the buyer in and relate and identify with him. And again, there's, there's a tremendous curve here that many farmers, if they get frustrated, they just don't understand, just like any consumer, hey, they just don't buy it. Um, and that's what I was referring to earlier. You've got to be able to bridge that gap and connect the dots for the buyer and sometimes that's some simplicity, um, that just some simple messages and delivery of the message. Um, water and oil, they don't mix. So, I mean, if, if you have this great product, but you can't make it identifiable or relatable, then you've mismanaged your own product and you're probably not going to stay in business. So what we have to do is um, be able to educate our consumers, our potential customers, our potential clients. And we've got to be able to show them why they would gain benefit from using the biologicals and why they would gain benefit from working with us. And I think, you know, based off of the response that we got this last year from our winter workshops, we're going to continue to do those every year. Uh, I've given sometimes the same presentation um, to some of the guys that have been in the room three times, and, and, and they say, I still learn something every time I come and hear you, even though it's almost the exact same thing. And I wonder myself why these, why these guys keep showing up because, um, you know, I'm giving them almost the same message, but there's a lot of percentage of guys that are new in the room. They've never heard it, but it's really eye-opening of, of, you know, how we present it and, and what we deliver. So I, I think the biggest part really is is not saying, hey, we can do everything. Our product can do everything. I'm not going to present that it's going to be working hand-in-hand um, hand with the farmer and helping educate them um, and not making it sound like we're the smart guys and, and we're, you know, we're, we're so important that, you know, you just need us and our products, you know, just this great. Uh, you, you really got to be able to, to lay it in their lap, make it um, something that they can understand and, you know, chew it off in chunks. You got to be able to chew it off in chunks. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think that's some good insight. For any business, not just uh, the one you're yeah. running, but any business in any industry. Um, before we wrap things up, though, the last question I want to ask you is, I would just love for you to tell our listeners one piece of advice or life lesson that's had the most impact on Chris Masters. I think for me, I heard the statement, um, there's a problem when you're the smartest person in the room. Uh, I think accountability for me has, has been really important. And there's certain people I allow in my life to give them access to hold me accountable uh, for business, for personal, um, spiritual-wise. And I think you've got to have that, those people in your life. And sometimes, yeah, it might hurt. It may not be what you want to hear. But, you know, when I heard that statement of you can't be the smartest person in the room, 
I don't know how many people want to have a following. You can, you know, have all these followers on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, you know, we lift these people up and put them on a platform and we praise them. I'm just talking about celebrities and other people like that. But I think the human nature loves that, right? That they love to have people who feel like, oh, I need them or I want to be around them. But I think at the end of the day, it's, it's self-evaluation and um, learning yourself, improving yourself. And again, for me, I don't want to be in a room to where I'm always the smart guy. Sometimes I just want to go and, you know, listen. I, I want to be just a part of the conversation. And, um, and then allowing certain people to, to hold you accountable. And, and so for me, it's, it's, it's a very small group of men that I allow that to happen with, but it's healthy for me. And they don't have to know my business. They're not business partners. They're not even in even in my industry, um, but they're, uh, they're people that speak into my life and, uh, you know, challenge me on things. And for me, again, I may not like to hear it, may not want to hear it, but I have to evaluate and, and, and understand that, hey, from the outside, this may not look um, like I'm presenting it, so I might want to make some adjustments. So for me, it's not just about business. Again, it, it's about who I am to, to every person. Um, and, and making sure that, you know, I'm not trying to please everybody. But again, this is about my, myself and being the best version of myself. And so that's why I have certain people who um, I trust and I, I allow access to and just having being accountable. That's some good advice. Thanks for sharing that. I think yep. that's it for uh, our farm tank session today. I Appreciate you taking the time to do it with me. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about BioVant, we posted uh, Chris's speech at the Van Trump Conference on the Van Trump Report YouTube page. You can go out there, check that out. You can also give us a call, and we'd be happy to put you in contact with Chris. Or Chris, he's still offering um, that deal for people who came to the Van Trump Conference, or is that up? Yeah, um, for any member, anybody associated with, you know, it's an 8% um, off of their first purchase. Um, so that's kind of a, just an appreciation for being involved and partnered with you all. But, yeah, that's, that's definitely available. Awesome. Yeah, and what, what was the code on that? Did, uh, did you have to enter in a code? Well, I, yeah, I actually said it wrong in the video, but it, it would be the uh, v, um, VTC18. I think in the video that I did online and sent it out to some of your some of your members, I said BCT, but really it's you know Van uh, okay. Trump Conference. So one way or another, we'll understand what they're understand what they're saying and we'll get them the discount. All right, awesome. Yeah, guys, uh, don't be afraid to give us a shout if you got any more questions. But uh, I appreciate you doing this with me today, Chris. And hey, man, sure I enjoyed we'll it. Been different, but it's been a good different. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I learned a lot. Appreciate it. You have a good day. Appreciate it, Jordan. Yep, I'll talk to you. See you, buddy. All right. Bye.